Okay. Uh, my name is Shayna Thomas, and I'm 43 years old. This time last year, I was a store manager uh, with an outdoor retailer. Currently, I am a in-home services caregiver for my youngest daughter. I definitely have lost a bit of my identity and where I had previously put my self-worth. I took a lot of pride in the work that I did and the impact that I had in my community with the people that I worked with. That's something that cannot be replicated now that I have left my job. There are 4.5 million fewer women working right now than at the start of 2020. And Shayna is one of the millions of moms whose career was short-circuited by the pandemic. The Thomases have three daughters. Their youngest, Bridget, Shayna refers to as medically fragile. Families that include people with disabilities, medical conditions, and neurodiversity. This is a group which, of course, itself is very diverse— But these people have been hit very hard by the pandemic. Yes, exactly. Like, for example, reduced access to specialized services, increased social isolation. And these stories have not been heard enough in the last year and a half. This is also just a nuanced, very real-life story because Shana's experience isn't just about hardship— It's really that throughout the pandemic, there's actually been some really unexpected highlights and opportunities for her that actually totally challenged some of my own assumptions. This is The Double Shift, the show that challenges the status quo of motherhood. I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. And I'm your co-host, Angela Garvis. This episode is part of our series on the true cost of the pandemic for mothers, which is a partnership between The Guardian, The Double Shift, and the Economic Hardship Reporting Project. In this series, we've talked with moms about the financial hits they've taken during the pandemic due to job loss or being forced out of the workforce. Today's story is really about not just industries closing or the economy suffering, which we've covered in previous episodes— but really about a career sacrifice directly related to school closures and needing to take care of children. So we started recording this series back in January, and a lot has changed since then. But we really feel like we still need to reckon with why the pandemic was so bad for moms, and a lot of that is because of problems that existed before the pandemic that we don't want to return to. Amen. Amen. And just FYI, Catherine did the interviews with the subjects of this series, which is why you won't hear my voice in the interview. So Shana mentioned that she's an in-home services caregiver for her youngest daughter, Bridget. We'll get to exactly what that means a bit later. But let's start with Shana's career as a general manager at a big outdoor retailer. She started as a salesperson during college and had moved all the way up to being a store manager. Shayna and her family had actually moved a few times as she got promoted from store to store and most recently to a location in Los Angeles. 
She loved the company, and she had a base salary of $83,000 plus $10,000 to $15,000 in yearly bonuses. Also, there were great benefits, store discounts, and conference travel that fueled her personally and professionally. And she had taken on leadership roles, and, and she really wanted to help women in particular rise up in the company like she had. I worked with a lot of women who were young, hadn't hit that point in their lives yet. And it put me in like a mentorship position to say, you can have it all. You, you can have a career. You can have the kids. And I, I took a lot of pride in that, that I could be a mentor and a, and a leader, raise a family, uh, kind of show them how it's done, and set a great example for emerging leaders. Shayna was saying this as the mother to three girls. They are now 13, 11, and 6. And as we mentioned, the youngest, Bridget, is what the family terms medically fragile. While she's cognitively typical, when she was nine months old, she was diagnosed with transverse myelitis with acute flaccid paralysis. Bridget is partially paralyzed and uses a wheelchair. Before the pandemic, she had a lot of physical, occupational, and speech therapy appointments, which, as you can imagine, requires a lot of logistics and a lot of management. And Shana's middle daughter, Keely, received additional support at school for reading and language. And then spring 2020 happened. When the schools closed, it just all grinded to a halt for our family. My work ramped up. While the stores were closed, we were still supporting digital business and still maintaining tabs on our physical buildings for the stores. My engagement with work at home increased tenfold, and that really impacted the family. Our middle daughter really struggled with the isolation, just not of that age where kids are hanging out on the computers together. And she didn't get a lot of the resources that she was getting in the classroom through virtual learning. So for her, she would be on the computer when I left for work in the morning and still be struggling with her assignments when I got home 10 hours later. It was a nightmare for her. Preschool basically went away for Bridget. All of her therapies stopped. She did not receive any therapy via telehealth. The office medical therapy unit where she was receiving therapy went dark. They were all reassigned to COVID things for the county. And my husband, still trying to work at his job in the first few months, it was impossible to split his time between his own job, helping our middle daughter with school, and then getting on to sing songs and read stories with our preschooler. It was a really tough situation. Do you remember one particularly challenging or chaotic day during that time that, like, really stood out to you as sort of, like, thinking, like, wow, this is not sustainable? Yes. We had a day in June where we closed all of our stores nationally for one day. We just hit the pause button. And that was the first moment in months that I was at home and felt I didn't have to be on my phone all day, that I could just take a mental break from work, even if it was just for 24 hours. And my husband and I had a chance to really talk and connect and reflect on 
how horrible the spring was for the two younger girls in particular and what that would look like if things weren't back to normal in August. And we didn't see how there was any possibility that things could be back to normal by August. So we brainstormed. When Bridget first got sick, we had to learn very quickly that if we were going to be successfully married partners in taking care of this girl who had so many needs now, we had to be good communicators. So we learned early on in a hospital setting that we had to be transparent with one another, that we had to um, work together. And we kind of employed some of those practices in June. And we said, what are we going to do? Because we can't put the girls through another semester like what they had in the spring. It, it's not sustainable. It, there, there will be pretty big consequences if we have to do that. And, and something is going to break and, and we can't get to that point. Um, we looked at options. We were renting a home in a very nice neighborhood. The schools were great. Um, it took 100% of my take-home pay to pay the rent. And then my husband's income paid everything else. And we, in the back of our minds, remembered some conversations we'd had with my parents that my grandparents' house had been vacant for a year and a half. And my dad had told us on multiple occasions that, hey, there's a house for you here if you need it. If something ever happened, you know that there's a house here for you. So one of my personal obsessions that I think so many families should consider is co-housing. Our episode, Don't Call Me Mom, Call Me Ted, was set in a co-housing community, and we've also talked about it in other episodes. With its common spaces and strong community, it offers kids freedom and independence to roam and connect with nature that is honestly hard to find these days, all with loving neighbors invested in your kids' lives. Right now, there's an opportunity to actually get in on a great community that's about to start construction. Co-housing ABQ owns four acres of land along the beautiful Rio Grande, just minutes from downtown Albuquerque. The community already has 12 kids and many aunties and grandparents, and they've supported one another through COVID and before, creating a culture of trust, fun, and care. All they need to be complete is you. Go to cohousingabq.org slash the double shift to check out their website and sign up for an info session. Honestly, browsing this website, this place looks really dreamy, and I'm not going to lie, it kind of makes me want to pick up and move to Albuquerque. So go check it out and learn more about how Cohousing ABQ can become your village. That's cohousingabq.org slash the double shift. It's also linked in our show notes. Hey, Double Shifters, it's Catherine. I am so glad you're enjoying our rich back catalog of episodes. And as you may know, we aren't putting out new episodes right now, but we're doing some really cool work we want you to know about. And we'd like to stay in touch with you. Please sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is full of great storytelling and ideas about the forces that shape family life in America. To sign up, go to thedoubleshift.com slash newsletter. Also, we have a robust member community that's full of amazing moms from all over the world. 
with Zoom hangouts on super interesting topics like creativity and challenging the status quo at work. We are building more and more ways for you all to get to know and support each other. That's just so important right now. We're also planning some great member benefits like audio newsletters. So if you particularly like connecting with us through listening, it's a great way to keep double shift thinking in your ears and in your life. Also, we are a scrappy small business and your support helps us do what we do. Thoughtful journalism that tells important stories and challenges the status quo of motherhood and beyond. To become a member, go to thedoubleshift.com slash join. So remember, sign up for our free newsletter so we can stay in touch with you. It's thedoubleshift.com slash newsletter. And consider becoming a member. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash join. Membership starts at $5 a month. Thanks. So Shana and her husband had a decision to make. They had an opportunity to move into a house right next door to her parents, a house that was ranch style with no stairs, perfect for her daughter in a wheelchair, and they'd be able to cut out their massive rent bill in L.A. County. So if they moved, the money they'd spend covering utilities, taxes, and an eventual payment plan to buy that San Diego house would actually still be much less than the rent they were paying. And one of them could help the kids navigate virtual school and help facilitate all the appointments and therapies for Bridget. Another part of their financial picture is that Bridget qualified for a certain amount of paid caregiving hours through the state for a home health aid. And California is a state that allows that paid caregiver to be a relative. So one of them could receive $14.25 an hour for this in-home caregiver work rather than hiring an outside person. There's there's a cap on the number of hours, and Shana says it's really not close to the hours they actually spend caring for Bridget, which she says is a 24-7 job. And they didn't, of course, raise the cap even when there was no in-person school. Ugh, why? I am not surprised to hear that. <laughs> I know, it's just, of course. So in their primary jobs, the Thomases made roughly the same amount of money. Some years with her bonuses, Shana actually made a little more. Uh, the family also used Shana's great company benefits like health insurance. But Shana's husband worked from home, so he could work anywhere. Shana could not. Her role was in person in L.A. And that wasn't the only difference. My background is in education. Uh, I have a degree in education from San Diego State University and had worked in school settings before, had taught music privately for many years on the side. And it just became very clear that I would be the best parent to be home facilitating distance learning with the girls. And that day we had, we just reached a breaking point and said something has to change. And we made some really big decisions that day. So when you were sitting down to have this hard conversation about, you know, making these changes and you all, you know, for you all to to move cities and for you to take on distance learning, the, you know, the underlying thing is that you can no longer have the job that you have. I mean, that's the, that's the thing that is giving in that in that situation. Mm-hmm. Did your husband ever think about quitting his job? No. And I don't fault him for that. 
it's a really hard setup to beat. He's in a great position. He gets some good perks with his work as well. And the flexibility that we could have, it's funny because it was almost, when we were talking about it, it was almost as if it was too good to be true because I'm not going to lie. I never thought I was going to leave my job. But it was always a fantasy of mine to be a stay-at-home mom. Because I had always been working outside the home, always, uh, since high school. I have maintained a job. So the idea of not having to go to a job outside of the house and be able to be fully 100% engaged with the girls all the time seemed like something that was never ever going to happen for mm-hmm. me. Now that that conversation had come up, it felt like, wait, could I could I really like is this a reality that I don't have a job and I and I can do this? So part of it was very daunting of, you know, it's a big deal to leave a 20-year career, but it was almost alluring and exciting because it would allow me to explore a part of motherhood that I hadn't had before. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it, there was a lot of conflicting, it, it sounds complicated, and there were a lot of conflicting things. Like it wasn't a situation you ever imagined yourself in, but as you thought about it, like you did sort of see some advantages and some things that you were excited about. Yes, absolutely, yes. We have learned to look at silver linings wherever you can. As a parent of special needs kids, you have to do that. Or you can get into some really dark places pretty quick. Right. So it has always been our goal to not just kind of glass half full, look at the bright side of things, but really look at, okay, what are the benefits here? Let's weigh some pros and cons. Let's take measure of what we have in front of us. And it was very bittersweet to leave my job. The connections that I had made, uh, professional relationships, personal relationships, and engagement and fulfillment that I had there couldn't be beat. But my family needed me more. And I'm so thankful that we had this opportunity with the house. That was really the thing that tipped it over. Right. Can you describe what happened when you gave your notice? I cried. Oh, I cried. I did. I was so nervous. Um, I've known my boss for many years. I'm sure it came out of left field. We had been talking about my development. We had been talking about putting my hat in the ring for a a bigger store, a new location. Uh, Those were the conversations that we were having. So when I got him on the phone in mid-July, it was hard. It was really hard. And he didn't make it easy because... Why would he? <laughs> he didn't want me to go. It, it was a hard conversation. Did he try sure. to talk you out of it? He did. He did. And that was, you know, he did. He offered, uh, there were, There are lots of, uh, there were options for me. There, there was a potential for a leave of absence, but knowing that we would be moving, that we'd be taking advantage of this opportunity in another city, it would not have been ethical for me to say, oh, sure, I'll just take a leave of absence, knowing I'd never, I wouldn't come back. We'd be leaving the city. We wouldn't be in the same city where my store was. So we kind of haggled a little bit. 
But at that point in time, by the time I had the conversation with him, we already had the ball rolling on me taking over the caregiving hours on. um, And there we go. It's five minutes to math time and the alarm is going off on my phone. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Apparently do not disturb notifications. Don't work on the alarms that you set on your phone. And these are all pre-programmed in the real life sounds. Oh my Lord. Oh, I've got another one in here. Let me just turn all of these off. That's smart to have the alarms for the virtual school. All of the virtual school alarms. It's the five minute warning for every session. And it's three sessions for the different kindergarten things. But then there's PTOT speech, like different days. And then I have all of my, um, my middle daughter was diagnosed with diabetes a week after we moved here. So of type one. And so I have alarms set to be like, check Keely's blood sugar, check Keely's blood sugar. And I'm like, I'm just going to turn those off really quick. My husband will be on it. Okay. Given how many alarms you just told us about, I can't believe there was only one in an hour. We picked a really good window of time. This was like the sweet spot here. Angela, did those alarm bells set off any bells for you? (laughs) Yes, thank you. A bit triggering. Um, I'm having flashbacks (laughs) and really relating to Shana right now. I mean, my life was dictated by phone alarms. I had like six of them set over the course of a day um, for kindergarten classes all last fall. And really, I mean... The fact that Shayna's math class warning alarm was going off during an interview in which she's talking about her changing roles and identity during the pandemic, it's like a little too on the nose. I know. It just just (laughs) captures everything perfectly. Too real. It's just too real. And yes. Also, in case you missed it, listeners, Shayna's middle daughter, Keely, who needs extra support for reading and language also was recently diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Keely is doing well now, but the hospital bill ended up being a big financial hit because they had just switched health insurance after Shayna had left her job with great health insurance. So it reset all their deductibles, and they had to pay a huge amount out of pocket. And, oh, yeah, there's still a pandemic going on. (laughs) And so this family has spent many months in strict lockdown because they have two high-risk kids. I mean, it's a lot. It's so much. Yeah. It is just objectively a lot to manage. And coming up, we'll talk to Shayna about her next steps, or not, in her career. So as part of this reporting for The Guardian, I asked Shana to estimate for me what the pandemic had cost her in in a, like a concrete dollar amount. Oh, what did she say? So she estimated sixty dollars to $70,000, including wow. lost salary, bonuses, retirement contributions, un- these unexpected medical bills we were just talking about, mm-hmm. and deductibles, the moving costs. And that was just as of January 2021. Like that was that was when she made that up. <laughs> wow. Um I feel like we just have to like let that number sink in. Yes. It's it's it is huge. <laughs> so huge. But there's okay. more. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I put Shayna's age and earnings into this calculator 
made by the Center for American Progress that shows the sort of lifetime financial impact of time out of the paid labor force due to childcare. Like they made a specific tool for this. So mm-hmm. using this calculator and her salary and her age, and just I just estimated, you know, we don't know for sure, but I estimated that she takes two years out of the workforce due to COVID. So this tool estimates it will cost her $327,000 over the course of her life in lost earnings, raises, and retirement from this two years off of her career path due to COVID. I mean, it's devastating. And I think it's such a good reminder um, how, you know, a lot of times, Shana and many other women— and it's overwhelmingly women, <laughs> uh, make decisions based on like a moment of crisis or yep. caregiving needs, right? And it's not just for kids. It's like your parent gets sick or something happens, right? You make decisions to women go in and out of the workforce for caregiving at a much higher percentage than men. Like this is just a reality for so many people. But yes. so we make these decisions based on short-term needs. But this is like, thank you for like bringing us back to this idea that what we lose potentially long-term is huge. And we should be considering that as well. So if you're curious, we're going to link to this calculator in the show notes. And if you want to take a look for yourself. Right. And of course, these decisions are so nuanced. This isn't an indictment on any one sort of individual decision in a moment of crisis, but it's just Mm -hmm. a way to sort of put what feels like short-term decisions into a long-term context, which I just think is, we need the more of that thinking. So But of course, you know, of course, of course, it's not just about money, (laughs) even though these numbers are so big. It's not just about money. What Shana has lost, you know, there are things she's lost that are much more intangible and harder to measure, like the social aspect of her job and her sense of professional accomplishment. So as your role has shifted so much and putting your so much of your energy into helping your kids and your family life. Has that had an impact on your self-esteem or how you think about your own uh, career ambition? Yes. I am still navigating those feelings. So much of my identity was wrapped up in my job because I had had that job for so long. And it's sadness that that part of my life is is probably over. I am still keeping in touch with my former boss. He told me before my last day that the door was always open for a return, that I'm welcome back to the company. Um, it was very gracious. And I will officially have my full 20 years, six months after I come back, if I ever go back. <laughs> Right. And I'm thinking about it because, you know, originally I thought I'm going to be with this company until they have to scrape me off the chair and place me <laughs> out the door. Right. I thought this was going to be my my job forever until the end of time. And I it, it's so surreal that all of the events of the last year have, are just so surreal. Uh, I can't hardly believe that. Hmm. that they've even happened yeah. and that this is where we are now. Yeah. So we originally talked to Shana in early 2021 
Um, and since that is like a lifetime ago, <laughs> uh, we wanted to find out, you know, more about how she and the family are doing right now. They've had some health ups and downs, but, you know, they're health-wise, the family's doing fine. They aren't really sure if they're going to be comfortable sending the two younger kids to school in person until the kids can be vaccinated. And they're still thinking about what to do for fall. So that's like very much the rest of the year sort of up in the air for them about what they're going to decide. And the thought of going back to work, it has crossed Shana's mind, you know, maybe part-time as a retail associate um, or teaching music lessons or something, but nothing she's going to do anytime soon because she says she's busier now than she's ever been when she was working, you know, outside of the home in the st- at the store. And Sheena says, you know, in terms of money, things are a little tight, but they are making it work. And mm-hmm. they have actually another just curveball in this whole basket full of curveballs <laughs> is that um, they actually have had a lot of out-of-pocket expenses for Keeley's type 1 diabetes medications and supplies. Shana says they have worked hard to rein in their expenses since the holidays and to keep their spending down, like they're really on their budget. And they one of the things they're doing is a lot of very careful meal planning. And Shana is doing a lot of thinking. Here we are a year plus into the pandemic. And let's see. Eight months into this move, and I'm finally feeling okay with what I'm doing. It's and still there are still days where I don't feel like I'm up for this job for what I'm doing now. I just feel like I can't do it right. I can't do anything right. I'm not doing it well enough. I'm not supporting my family well enough here. I mean, I, I still have those feelings. They creep in. But Shayna also has moments that genuinely lift her spirit up. Like recently, when Bridget was about to start math class. And she's on Zoom with four other kiddos. The rest of her class has returned in person. And so they do a couple sessions during the day where they're concurrent. So the teacher teaches everybody together. Bless her heart. So anyways, math is about to start and the internet at the school goes out. And I can see all the other Zoom kids are still there, but the teacher's gone. And then, well, I've got four other kids on Zoom here with Bridget and I. So I taught math for half an hour on the fly with these kids. And it just felt natural. It was the natural thing to do for me to just pick up and go, okay, the teacher can't be here. Let's get through this math so that Mrs. Walsh will be proud of us. It was great. (laughs) And... At the end of the week, they do a uh, a little rally with the school, and then they give out awards to kids who do great things during the week. And the teacher nominated me for an award for jumping in to teach math when the internet went out. So, uh, and then she mailed me a copy of the certificate, which I have proudly hanging in my kitchen now. And it, it just was enough of an affirmation for me that I am where I need to be in this moment. So, looking ahead to the summer, the Thomas family is planning a six-week camping trip in their Overland trailer. 
the kind of extended trip they never could have taken when Shayna was working full-time. And Shayna says that now that she and her husband are vaccinated, they will also drop by some of the store locations that she's worked at over the years to see some friends and colleagues she's kept in touch with since she left her job. People that worked directly for me, people that were peers. For a couple people, I've become a sounding board because I'm a neutral party, not involved in anything. And so I'm, I'm a good person to vent to. And I welcome that because I know how stressful the job is right now when you have the, the weight of your team's safety on your shoulders, the level of service that you have to provide, all of the changing protocols and restrictions. It's just so much. And so I have still been able to be a resource for a couple of people, um, two people that worked directly for me at my last location have since been promoted into bigger leadership roles within the company. And it's just, I'm still that proud mama bear who just relishes in seeing them being successful. So, Angela, what did you think of Shana's story? I mean, I almost don't know where to start. I think about how that positive attitude that Shayna has cultivated, it's wonderful. And I think it's such a strong asset to her family. But I also just think about how being resilient like that, you know, we just ask, our country asks people to do that, I think, more than we should. You know, and sometimes right. resiliency is sort of a thing. We praise people's resiliency when really we should also be talking about what goes hand in hand with that, which is sort of state and systemic failures, right? And why we should be giving people more support so they so it's not about personal resiliency, you know. Right. But to end on a you know more positive note, I do want to. I think it's. I was really moved, you know, when Shana said, "Like here I am, I'm right where I need to be right now." And that's. I mean, I think that's especially for someone who has had to step away from a career that was really meaningful to them to step into that caregiving role and to feel genuinely like. Yeah, like I still have ambition. I still there are still things that I want in my life. But right now, this is my family needs me and this is what I want to be doing right now. I think that's really important. I think that's significant. We should celebrate that. Hmm. Yeah. I, I also found that it was so poignant to me that Shayna was a big believer, you know, before the pandemic and like Mom's being able to have it all. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I was totally in that camp myself in a former life. Mm. A, for, a former Catherine was like that. and <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's the story you've been sold your entire life, right? Right. And, and because, you know, there are maybe certain moments of life for certain people that you feel like you can't have it all. And But because the foundations of our support for moms and families are so weak, you know, it's something that can go away in an instant, and it's not easy to attain, and it's definitely not easy to maintain. So I feel like the pandemic certainly has made that crystal clear. Yeah, I think a lot of people are waking up to this idea, like we can't have it all. And I, I'm not sure that we should even try to have it all, right? We should try to have enough. But there's still the reality that in the pandemic, there are all of these financial costs that are being born by families, individual families. Yeah. Um, and that I don't think we should accept. I agree. It just doesn't seem fair for the financial fallout 
of a global pandemic to be shouldered so much by people like Shayna. So, double shifters. A big question on our minds is, after over a year of pandemic living, vaccines are here in the U.S., and the world is changing. So we want to know, how are you thinking about your future? Are you starting to plan a return to work? Um, plotting a big career shift? Planning to stay out of the paid workforce for a while? Are you getting divorced? <laughs> getting more interested in activism? Vowing you'll never do certain things again? We want to know. We want to know what big changes you see ahead for yourself. Send us an email or a voice memo using the voice memo app on your phone to askthedoubleshift at gmail.com. That's askthedoubleshift at gmail.com. Doubleshifters, after the next episode in two weeks, we will be on a short summer hiatus in July and August as we work on episodes for the fall. If you feel like you will miss us, because we'll miss you, <laughs> over those hot, steamy summer months, consider becoming a member of the show. We've got a bunch of members-only episodes you have not heard that will keep you connected to The Double Shift all summer long. Plus, we want to stay in touch with you, our amazing community. So Catherine and I will be doing monthly virtual Zoom hangouts starting in June with our members so we can get to know you all better. A great way to have more conversations with us and each other. Membership starts at $5 a month, and if you are able to pay by the year, that helps us even more. Remember, Double Shift members also get an ad-free show, and you are crucial to making this indie feminist podcast possible. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash join to become a member. The Double Shift is created and hosted by me, Katherine Goldstein. Our co-host is Angela Garbez. Our senior producer is Rachel McCarthy. Our editor is Anita Rao. Our research assistant is Jada Hester. Music is by Travis Morrison and Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme song is by Palehound. Our mixer is Corey Shreppel. We are funded in part by the generous support of the Ford Foundation. And you are members. We can't do this without you. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash join to become a member. We are independently produced and distributed. Thanks for being part of The Double Shift. <laughs>